Hi, I'm Sean L. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic, found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Mike Farah was the first producer hired at Funny or Die, and he has been a vital part of the Upstart Digital Production Studio since 2008, when Funny or Die was still known only as an online comedy video platform. The company has produced the critically acclaimed Brockmire for IFC, Emmy-nominated Billy on the Street, the Peabody Award-winning American Vandal for Netflix, the Emmy-nominated Sarah Silverman series I Love You, America for Hulu, and the feature films Between Two Ferns, the movie for Netflix, and Impractical Jokers, the movie for Warner Brothers. In the fall of 2022, they'll present Pickled, a celebrity pickleball tournament hosted by Stephen Colbert for CBS and Paramount+, Plus, as well as Weird, the Al Yankovic story, a feature film biopic spoof that premieres on Roku. As CEO since 2016, Farah sat down with me in his Hollywood offices to take a look back at all the twists and turns in Funny or Die's history. If you like this conversation, please consider subscribing to my Substack called Piffany at piffany.substack.com so you can read bonus commentary on this episode as well as more comedy news and insights. Thanks in advance, and now that that's out of the way, let's get to it! We were supposed to sit down, I don't know if it was here or the old offices in March of 2020, but, wow. but then life got in the way. It did. Or maybe... But I'm glad to see you now. Maybe we were just waiting for the momentous double whammy of Celebrity Pickleball and Weird Al biopic. Yes. Yes. The, <laughs> the path emerged two and a half years later. <laughs> these are heady times for Funny or Die. Indeed. And these indeed. are new offices. When did you move into these offices here on Sunset? We moved into these offices, I want to say April of this year. Okay. But uh, it's a hybrid work schedule. And so everyone's here Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And then it's a ghost town Thursday and Friday. I think that's just the way, <laughs> that's how it's going to be moving forward. I, I, just, I don't know really any entertainment company that has folks going in five days a week. Maybe one of your listeners knows. It was an adjustment doing the hybrid thing, but now it's just like, now when you get to Wednesday evening, mm-hmm. it kind of feels like just like a oh, teaser for the weekend. Because like you're still working on Thursday and Friday. I do think generally speaking, most people have kind of like given up on very productive Fridays. Right. Um, but it, it's, we've kind of settled into a nice routine here. How many adjustments do you feel like you've had to go through in 15 odd years of Funny or Die? Well, I've been here since uh, 2008. So maybe that saved me one of those adjustments. <laughs> um, I would say uh, Funny or Die and myself have probably over-indexed in adjustments. <laughs> Uh, we are we are not afraid of uh, of an evolution. That's for sure. Right. It's amazing to think if I were to try to describe Funny or Die to a, someone from Gen Z, and go, okay, so Funny or Die was named because they allowed users to upload videos, and then you could vote funny or die. And if enough people voted die, the video would get kicked off the platform. Yeah. And people go, what? Yeah. <laughs> Like, that's a thing? <laughs> what are you even talking about? <laughs> yeah, those are our humble origins. Yeah, 2007, um, Funny or Die. It was actually inspired by uh, a really uh, not-so-great website called Hot or Not. 
Mm. I wasn't here for that, but I think uh, one of the, the Mark Kwame's son, I think uh, Michael Kwame, knew about Hotter Now. I was like, oh, what if they uh, turned this into like this premise into a comedy website called Funny or Die? So Funny or Die is the Facebook of comedy video. <laughs> so wasn't Hot or Not like a precursor for Facebook, or is that a different kind of Hot or Not? Uh, yeah, I, well, I don't know. We've been around. When did when did Facebook launch? Two thousand five, two thousand four. Yeah, the Facebook. Yeah, when it was the Facebook, I think it was two thousand four. Yeah, and YouTube was like what oh five, yeah. and then we came around oh seven. Oh seven. Yeah. So yeah, so when Adam McKay and Will Ferrell uploaded the Landlord, you weren't here yet. You were working in with in development with a couple of independent studios, right? I was not here when the landlord launched. I was when the landlord launched. I was unemployed. Oh, I had been working for a producer and a director, Stephanie Lane and Craig Brewer at Paramount, mm-hmm. uh, and then that job and kind of company ended with the writers' strike, ah, okay. uh, which was uh, unfortunate. Was... And though now maybe there will be another strike this upcoming year, time will tell. And um, I, when that job ended, I ended up uh, just producing a lot of online comedy. Uh, at that moment, you know, web series were kind of like a new thing, and you could actually kind of get some budgets together. You could sell different web series. And so the, the, the writer's strike was actually a real blessing for me because I was just able to dive in totally into producing short-form comedy. Were you working with your brother, Chris? I was, we- amongst others. But yes, okay. wow, you've done your research. Uh, yeah, my brother Chris and I did a bunch of stuff. I did a bunch of stuff with different comedians that I, I met out and about at UCB and at mm-hmm. other shows. And then that work is what eventually led me to getting my job at Funny or Die in 2008. So about a year after the landlord launched. So what did you think when you came in to meet with whoever was, who was, who did you interview with? I interviewed with a host of folks. I interviewed with uh, then-CEO Dick Glover. Mm-hmm. I interviewed with then-creative director Andrew Steele, who's now Harper Steele. Uh, and I interviewed with Adam McKay and Chris Henchy. So I went through three different interviews. So they were hands-on. It wasn't just... Oh, very. It was Adam and Will, and then Judd Apatow was briefly aligned with it as well, right? For a long time. Yeah. So Adam, Will, and Chris Henchy founded it. And then um, some point within the next year or so, before I started, Judd Apatow also joined as kind of like mm-hmm. a, a principal. But they didn't try to make it part of Gary Sanchez? or They did not. They did not. They're like, no, we're going to go with, with the Kwame kids, funny or die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I did daydream about that at some point. But... Um, you know, at that time and for a lot of time, you know, they were having so much success in film and television and we were just getting started literally. Uh, and our focus was obviously on online. Right. And so I have daydreamed about what that would have been like to kind of merge all of those efforts. But I, they were as, as strange as it sounds, they were actually quite distinct. Mm-hmm. And so there was tons of overlap and we shared lots of different resources and obviously relationships and, and we were kind of a great, um, sister companies there, but, uh, no, they were never officially combined. Right. Because we sit here now in 2022 and funnier die has fully pivoted. Gary Sanchez is gone Mm -hmm. and now funnier die has kind of pivoted to become that substitute 
studio that's making TV and film and digital projects and yeah. branded things. But well, back then, we're, no, we're no longer doing branded. Okay. So that that all that whole team went over to Roku uh, when Roku acquired our brand entertainment team to kind of form their brand studio. And we do still have our digital platforms and our mm-hmm. social platforms, but we're not actively making original digital content like we did in the okay. past. Right. That's what I'm kind of getting at is that when you came on board back in 2008, it was a whole different ethos and a whole different sensibility of like, okay, well, college humor, those kids have their own thing going on on the East Coast, mm-hmm. but we're in Hollywood and we're going to do our thing with all the UCB kids and the groundlings. and Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, gosh, <laughs> in many ways I haven't thought about that because I'm just so focused on what we're kind of doing now. But yes, it, so the internet, so 15 years ago in internet years is, you know, might as well be 50 years. So much has changed. Right. And in that moment you had, uh, YouTube was obviously becoming much more than just cat videos, Right. You also had digital filmmaking became way more accessible. You didn't have to go around and like get super 16 film to like shoot a short film. Um, what was it? The, the, the Panasonic HVX or something. There was some, some camera that everyone was like obsessed with. <laughs> then, then also we became friendly with a guy named Christian Springer who's gone on to be an incredible Emmy Award winning uh, DP. He had a red camera or access oh, yeah, to a camera. I remember hearing camera. about the red cameras for the first time. So this was a moment where just the barriers to create things became relatively easier for young kind of creators to um, overcome. And it was just like this golden age of internet sketch comedy, you know, even before SNL was doing it. Well, SNL did it with like Lonely Island. I'd have to see what year Lonely Island came out. Maybe 07, 08, 06, 05. Lonely Island, like. Yeah, the, the, uh, the, there was a cabbage video and then Lazy Sunday. Yeah. And And those got uploaded privately to YouTube and then. NBC didn't know at the time how to handle that. So you're seeing like that, that generation, like the Andy, Sam, like everyone kind of like our age and, and Andy and those guys were so young when they got on SNL, they were all basically part of the same generation of creating these really premium, what ended up being viral short form, you know, comedy pieces. And that was really the wave that Funnier Die rode and also helped create because I think we were probably a little bit behind SNL, but SNL still was doing their show, right? So they couldn't dedicate all of their resources to it. And this was really before the late night shows got into it because they were kind of had their format. And so companies like Funny or Die and, and um, College Humor and others were able to kind of jump into this moment before all the content was on Facebook and on social platforms and actually have owned and operated sites that were destinations for people to come to uh, and, and check out good stuff. Right. What was unique about that time period too, is that one of the, you know, I mentioned NBC not knowing how to handle SNL clips going viral because NBC didn't have a framework. And yet you guys are funnier die college humor, my damn channel. Um, there was another platform that's no longer around. Cracked maybe. Well, cracked, but there was, uh, there was a platform that actually just specialized in video. They weren't comedy video, but they heavy. <laughs> but uh, there were, dude. There were so but, many. But you of all, them. but but all of these companies, including Funny or Die, had Break. your own dot com. Had your own proprietary platforms. Yes. 
So instead of uploading to YouTube, you would you would go to Funny or Die and watch videos on Funny or Die. It doesn't even. And then you could em, you could embed your own player onto a website. It doesn't even feel like what we're talking about was a real period of time that you and I both lived through. That's how foreign all of this sounds. That's for why some, I wanted for, to talk to you too, to make sure that we, I should have been more prepared. I should have been like, I really should have like thought through like, take me back to Oh six, Oh seven, Oh eight. Oh my gosh. Yes. That was all accurate. We had funnier. I was fortunate enough to have really talented engineers that created our own video player. And that video player had real value. I don't know if we did much with it, <laughs> but like, but like we chose that that's the same player. And that's like the same mechanism for basically getting everyone's data mm-hmm. that all these social platforms, like I've never really even thought about it this way, but I wasn't a part of any conversation. So maybe conversations happen because I was just totally focused on the content and working with comedians and celebrities to make stuff. But, you know, all all the things that made social platforms so valuable data and basically, you know, online habits to inform their advertising business, Mm -hmm. we never got to that place. We were ahead of them, but um, our, our focus wasn't on collecting data and information about consumers in the way that those other folks were and, and, and for better or worse, you know, probably for worse, <laughs> what worse were... on, worse on them, better for us. Cause what... I, I, because also thinking about it, like, there's no world that Adam McKay and Will Ferrell would have been comfortable collecting people's data around comedy videos that they just had fun making with friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like, this has always been the duality of funny or die. Is like, yes, it's a business in a Silicon Valley business, but it's also been so driven by talent and creative and just the pursuit for excellent content that um, that's kind of why we've had so many adjustments, to use your word from mm-hmm. earlier in the conversation. So what relationships did you have with comedians when you came on board? In a way? I had decent ones. I mean, not like... You weren't a performer, but you had no, worked. No, no. You'd worked with studios and with agencies and I was, um, I was very fortunate because when I moved out here and I really didn't know anyone or anything, I worked at the standard hotel on sunset. And that was my first opportunity being surrounded by aspiring writers, directors, actors, musicians. So it's just like my creative graduate school, if you will. And we, I produced things for it with all the, the, the talented folks at the standard that we would like get together and make stuff. So I kind of had this like just scrappy, um, entrepreneurial DNA within me. Then I was also fortunate to work at UTA as an assistant at the talent agency. So I understood, I didn't totally understand, but I had a glimpse into how agents thought and how the business of all of these things coming together. Then I was able to work for Stephanie Elaine and Craig Brewer, and I was able to be on set on, on big, proper movies, you know, studio movies. Then I also was able to work in development at Paramount when I was working with Craig and Stephanie. And then when the, the, the writer's strike en- uh, hit, that's when I kind of put all of those things together just on my own. And, and a, a very close friend of mine, uh, David Bernad, who just won the, the Emmy for uh, White Lotus, in that period, um, 
he referred to me as the Scott Rudin uh, of the internet. Now, back then it was a compliment because we didn't know anything about, we had never worked with Scott Rudin. And obviously mm-hmm. he didn't mean because I was like going around like uh, bullying people and things mm-hmm. like that. But I was very fortunate to just get a lot of stuff going online. And like I said, a lot of it was with comedians that I just met through doing that because it, similar to the standard, you know, creative people are a producer. You're, they're just looking for someone to organize things and to help get their stuff made. That is like the absolute value proposition for a producer. Can you help this idea get made? And that was something that um, the pursuit and desire to do that just came very naturally to me. It didn't mean I was like good at it or it's like easy. It's far from easy. But I still get very passionate about hearing someone's idea, typically someone I just like connect with. Cause like you love the idea, right? But you also just love the person. You just want to like help service this person and this idea to get it made. And that's what I brought to the table at Funnier Die. And in many ways, nothing has changed in the last. So as much as things have changed and I've been so fortunate to kind of have a new job every two to three years, that core purpose I don't think I'll ever be able to shake it. That's why we were in pitch. I mean, pitch, like, well, I forget if that was on the interview, but when you were saying we like, yeah. you saw, like that was bananas, right? But like, yeah, I met you. Okay. So I met you in 2017 when you went to Montreal for the just for last festival to announce the launch of pitch, which was an app where completely different from user generated videos. This was, user-generated jokes yes yes we had big dreams for pitch and like i still love pitch and i love the guys who created it and so when you heard that idea and it was different than anything that was out there and you felt their passion you're just like how do you not try and see this through and it's the same thing with videos mm-hmm. podcasts movies series and you have to have that passion because this this stuff takes forever years i mean i think you also mentioned that we we met way early on when Usain Bolt was in the office, you know, in like 2009 or 2010, I remember mm-hmm. trying to get Usain Bolt to find, like make a video for like years before it came around. So like, you have to like really be committed to these things because n- no one just like hands you something. <laughs> well, what was drunk history? The first thing that, that was a hit for you guys. Well, drunk- I, was tr- I was going back and looking through the files. I mean, the landlord ob- was, an immediate smash, but that was Will Ferrell. Yes. But Drunk History was the first thing that had comedians who weren't necessarily major stars. But well, it- I, I would actually kind of bifurcate it. So there were some things that were just Funny or Die original videos mm-hmm. made by the staff that Harper Steele put together that I joined as like the producer. So like Jake Szymanski, uh, Eric Appel, the writer and director of Weird, which I'm sure we'll talk about. And there was a, a, a probably five or six folks that were on staff at Funnier Die. From so, before the HBO deal? Yes. Okay. Jake Szymanski was, uh, he directed the, the Paris Hilton video. Mm-hmm. That was like a big hit in 2008. Um, we, were, we all collaborated on Prop 8 the Musical, which was like probably like the first really big video that I worked on when I got here in 2008. Then you had things like um, Between Two Ferns and Drunk History, both of those did not start on Funny or Die. They, they started on YouTube or on, on other, 
other areas that I wasn't even involved in. But then once Funnier Die kind of got its sea legs under it, and mm-hmm. we had Will Ferrell and Adam McKay and Chris Henshin. This was like, you can't stress how important you know that that factor was. And so when when they kind of had a lot of their peers working at Funnier Die, they kind of got to know me. They knew that Will and McKay were involved. All of that stuff just kind of organically came over okay. to Funnier Die. But it didn't. I'm almost certain that, but yeah, between two ferns and drunk history kind of um, became a part of our legacy. But it, we didn't launch those. I did, well, I mentioned drunk history because I know it was part of the Funnier Die presents series on HBO. Yes, but like it, Derek, but it, had, but Derek it, had made it before, right? That. But Derek had premiered it at Sundance. I remember that. Yeah, so. we produced those, and then Gary Sanchez went on to make the series. Okay, right, which then. W- Went to Comedy Central. Eventually. Correct. Yeah. 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 So, right. And then Scott Hockerman comes to you guys with Between Two Ferns. That was like the first thing that, that got you guys statues like the one that's on this table. Yes. I don't even know what that's for. <laughs> Presumably we earned it. There, we're pointing out an Emmy. That's <laughs> on this. We bring uh, all the podcast folks, we bring into the room with the miscellaneous Emmy. We don't even know what it's there for. Right. Um, yeah. No, Between Two Ferns was and is huge. I mean, uh, working with Zach and Scott uh, has just been um, a dream. I mean, just uh, that was that was a great win-win of like providing – similar to what we were talking about, providing just a little bit of like um, infrastructure and resources for mm-hmm. them to do what they do so well. That was, that's why we've been able to, you know, make, I don't know, 25 or 30 of them. And then the movie that we did for Netflix a few years ago. Was it a show like Between Two Ferns or was it something else that, that sparked the first pivot where you realize instead of focusing on user-generated clips or even trying to get the latest celebrity to come on board that no, you can, you can produce more original projects that might turn into a series or might turn into a movie. It's a great question. Other people may have a different answer, at least for me. When, when I got here, I just kind of brought to the party what I knew how to do. And that was to work with writers and directors and actors who are already in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. That did, I, I'm from Michigan originally. So I, I, I love people who are making their way and, and uploading things. And, and when we found good stuff from people who uploaded things, we, we absolutely featured it. And, and Jake Szymanski was one of the first people to upload a video to Funnier Die, and that got him noticed by Will and McKay. But I was always just focused on the folks within the Hollywood creative and comedy community Mm -hmm. because, again, I always think about how can we be doing something that's just a little different. So when you look at like Break.com, Heavy.com, College Humor, The Onion, they all kind of had their lanes. Our lane, and again, when you have Will Ferrell and Adam McKay as your backstop, and, and my relationships and Harper Steele and everyone, it just felt like that's where we could make our mark. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what we focused on. And I don't think that was ever a part of the business plan necessarily because it was kind of more like a YouTube of comedy. Right. Um, but that's kind of where, like when, like anything, when you sense that things are working and people are paying attention to certain aspects, then you do more of that. And, and that's how the brand really got built. But then when do those conversations start happening where you're like, okay, we're, we've got Billy Eichner who's 
charging into people on the street and yelling at them. And then you go, hey, you know what? This could be a TV series, and we should be the ones producing it. And Well, specific to Billy on the Street, and you'd have to ask him, but the way my memory holds it is that someone who worked with us at Funnier Die, Daryl, uh, sent me some of Billy's stuff and said, this dude's really funny. And I watched it, and I was just like, hooked from the very beginning and I reached out to Billy mm-hmm. and told him I was a fan and wondered if he wanted to meet and it turned out he was going to be in LA a few weeks later I saw I since have learned that he made that up he actually wasn't going to be in LA he kind of planned a trip just to to come out and meet with me which was very nice of him hey that's that's how I got this interview so. there you go and um <laughs> And we got along instantly. Mm-hmm. Billy and I just really clicked instantly. So Billy told me his idea for combining his Man on the Street videos with a subjective pop culture game show. And I just thought that was the most genius thing I'd ever heard because, again, I am always drawn to things that haven't been done before. I just love surprising ideas, unexpected things that can attract a big audience. And when he told me that idea, I was like, we have to do that. And I didn't even, I didn't even get permission or ask anyone. We just like did it. We didn't tell anyone. This was like the, the, what a blessing funnier die was. They just, you know, they kind of trusted me to, to do my thing Mm -hmm. lots of times. And we just didn't tell anyone. And we hired a crew in New York and Billy made a sizzle reel for Billy on the street as soon as we showed it to people, it was just like everyone like got it, and we just we never even we never even made that as a, a as an online video. I mean, I think we ended up putting it online, but that was just something that we knew we could sell as a television show. And by that point, we had done the HBO show uh, Funnier Die Presents. We had started to get some interest because a lot of our the writers and directors were coming up with their ideas, and this just became a great creative hub to get those things going and no one wanted to be limited to just online. Right. Because it's, it's one thing to do an IFC miniseries or two with Will Ferrell and a bunch of celebrities parroting miniseries. But the idea of taking these relatively unknown comedians, such as Billy Eichner at the time and going, let's develop a show around you. That, that feels like it takes a lot more determination and effort Especially when you're coming from just being a home of online funny videos. Yeah. Well, everything takes determination and effort. It doesn't matter who you are or what you're trying to do. But yeah, that was, that was like kind of my peer group, you know, like Will and McKay and Harper, they were older than me, Mm -hmm. you know, but like Billy and I are basically the same age. Jake and I are basically the same age. I, I have been... I'm so, so proud of the people who have worked at Funnier Die and have kind of like come up the ranks. To me, that's like as impactful as the, the projects that we made together. And so I'm a, I'm a big believer in just creating that, that vibe and that infrastructure and that, um, that experience to help people get to their, their next level. Right. But like you've got the Weird Al movie coming out, mm-hmm. which... The original Genesis was a, a funnier dive video from yeah. Eric Capello, right? Yeah. And, but now funnier die is not the place for people to do that. 
Yes. To do a to do a, a spoof video that might someday turn into a feature film. That's correct. So I don't know. The sad thing is, is I don't think anywhere is the place to do that. Right. And that's devastating. But that's just how the world's change and how comedy has changed and how social platforms have um, changed uh, all consumer habits. So what was the process for Weird? Eric Appel was a staff writer and director at Funny or Die. This was when there were a few biopics going on, like like there was the Notorious B.I.G. biopic, mm-hmm. um, and maybe maybe um, Walk the Line, maybe Ray was kind of all kind of in that area. And he just had we had been doing a few of these fake trailers uh, for Funny or Die, and Eric had done a few of those, and those had done well for us in terms of views and and traction online and he had the idea and he had recently worked, I think with Pat Oswalt on a funnier dive video and he knew that Pat and Al were close. And so he emailed Pat and was like, Hey, do you think Al would like be into this idea? And I think Pat just forwarded Al forwarded that email to Al. And I think Al got in touch with Appel like that day. It was like, Oh, that's a great idea. Let's like have coffee and talk about it. And so they talked about it and they wrote the script together and then um, it was just a three or four page script, but then we cast it with like all these amazing people, Aaron Paul and, and Mary Steenburgen and, and others. And um, yeah, we just made that like one of the other funnier dive videos. There, there is a time we were probably making 20 original videos a month, you know, and most of those were probably had some celebrity in them. Right. And, uh, yeah, so we made it and it turned out great and it was very, very popular. And Al ended up using it as part of his live show for years. And then I think it was Al's idea maybe four years ago. He was just like, Hey, you know, everyone's always asked me about this video that I play at my, at my shows. And it's like, Oh, you should turn it into a movie. And he never thought it was the right time. But then, you know, Bohemian Rhapsody came out and rocket man had been announced. He's like, Oh, maybe it is time to turn this into a movie. <laughs> And he got in touch with Appel, and then they got in touch with me, and I, I agreed with him. I thought it was a, a, a great idea. And they developed the pitch, and we took around the pitch, and we couldn't get any bites, unfortunately, even with like the really great video that we had already made. And then to Al and Eric's credit, they wrote that script on spec. Mm-hmm. And then when we, we got this, the spec done, that's when we were able to get Roku interested. It's funny, like you talk about, or we've been talking about, like how much has changed in 15 years. And, you know, one of the things is, yeah, sadly, there's there's not really a place. I mean, you can go on YouTube or I guess you could make a TikTok now and try to generate interest. And if the TikTok goes viral, you could turn it into something. But we were also talking about the pitch app. And it feels like there was this, there was this glorious period where... <laughs> Where you had so many employees and so many ideas and everything was getting made. What happened to force you to have to scale back? Was it the economics of it all? Was it changes in the industry? Everything. It's never like one thing. It's a, it's a combination of so many things. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say if you're going to say one specific thing... It was how the economics changed when social platforms distributed content they didn't produce or pay for. So it was great because Facebook and YouTube and Twitter and Tumblr and other things help things go viral. 
but they they got the vast majority of economic value out of that viewership because they leveraged that viewership into ads that they were tracking you on to like serve great. I mean, this is why still Facebook and YouTube, like the vast majority of their money comes from advertising, you know? Um, and so that, that didn't help. (laughs) I'll put it that way. Right. So the fact that people weren't going to funnyourdie.com or using the proprietary player, to view this stuff, but had to go to Facebook or had to go to yep. YouTube on their terms yep. to watch this stuff. If, if I could go back in time and do anything differently at Fun Your Die, and this is just total hindsight is 2020, is what I always daydreamed about was we did a deal with Turner in 2012 where they bought a minority stake. And that was basically a bet <laughs> I say this with love in my heart. <laughs> that was a bet on advertising and basic cable. Mm-hmm. Two things at the moment, you at this 10 years ago, probably didn't make sense to bet on, mm-hmm. right? Now, we were an advertising-driven company, you know, but that's that was right at the cusp when streaming started becoming a reality because you could actually stream things through the cloud in a way that created an amazing user experience. And so if, if we were the type of company that only cared about the bottom line, which we are not, we would have come, you would have combined Gary Sanchez and funnier die. And you would have, raised a lot of money to not get into investing, not into advertising, but to generate what essentially would have been like an early CISO, right? Where you can be like, okay, everyone, like, let's, let's try and like go after. And again, I say this just CISO for those of you listening who don't already listen to my podcast. CISO was a, before it's time, comedy only streaming platform by NBC universal that NBC universal put no money into it. And then trash the whole thing after a year and a half. Because those companies weren't set up to do those things in any way. But like we could have raised money and created a platform and a Mm -hmm. whole experience for great comedy, said goodbye to advertising, not done that deal. And I think we could have created a very early but effective destination subscriber-driven destination that the value of which could have been very high and we could have been acquired by someone wanting to add that to their streaming platform sometime between like 2015 and 2017 when like everyone was trying to figure out streaming. And that's like when Netflix and the valuation like exploded and things like that. And so... Yeah, I, I do. I do wonder about like what that would have been like. But we, you know, that that wasn't what happened. Right. But I mean, you made a bet with Turner, and Turner themselves had gone through an iteration where they could have had their own chance with Super Deluxe. Yeah. And then scrap that for economic reasons or tax reasons or who knows why. Yeah, I mean, Turner had like a, a nice little comedy thing going with Super Deluxe, Adult Swim. Conan, right? All good comedy. But what was rating? For, what was actually making them money? 
was reruns of the Big Bang Theory. I'm not trying to disparage the Big Bang Theory. That's mm-hmm. just like the reality. But like the Big Bang Theory and Adult Swim are two very different sensibilities. So we were kind of joining this like Turner comedy wave, but it was all dependent on advertising and and you know that's and so that's neither here nor there. Right. But it's um again, to go back to your question, lots of little things added up to why and by the way, this didn't impact just Fun Your Diet. This was every digital pu- publisher. I mean, Huffington Post, remember how like powerful the Huffington Post was? I mean, I mean, I think it exists, but like it doesn't really exist. Maybe no, it does, it ex- does it exist? I don't even know. It, in name only, I in think. Name, like, so, There's a site, I think, if you go to it, but you know, I don't know who goes and, to it. And again, all of these companies, whether mm-hmm. they were tiny or medium-sized like Fun Your Diet or huge like BuzzFeed, all were impacted because all these like consistent digital ad dollars, like everyone's just like, that was like the first time broadcast is dead. I mean, people are still saying broadcast is dead, but broadcast dollars and cable dollars are still the things like propping up streaming platforms. Right. So that was just like, it's insane what fear does to markets. Oh my God, this thing is like taking off. Broadcast is dead. Let's pump in a bunch of money to digital, digital, digital. Oh, it's going to be like, this is the new thing. But then when that thing doesn't happen, boom. You know, I mean, look at like, I mean, and these were all smart people. Look at how much money Disney invested in um, Vice. Like they, I think who even knows how much money Disney has had to write off of like Vice. It's probably a billion dollars at this point, you know? And so... All these, everyone thought this moment was going to happen and it didn't, and it's still around, but just like petered out, Mm -hmm. but streaming became this huge thing. And now what's happening, right? Streaming, the valuation of streaming has like petered out. And now you're just getting back to everyone bundling things, just like the cable that you and I grew up with, (laughs) you know? Right. So as much things change, they stay the same. So in response, you had to cut back on writing staffs and putting out original videos. Yeah. And now, essentially, Funny or Die is a production studio, right? Yes, yes, we are. Um, <laughs> An old-fashioned, new-age digital production studio, making movies and developing and producing television shows. And Yes, what we are trying to do with Henry Munoz, who bought the company a year and a half ago, is to create a proper independent comedy studio that can both produce our content like a production company, but also has financial resources in the form of a development fund and a production fund to also produce some of our own content um, like a studio would Mm -hmm. to create a little bit more ownership and optionality for all the people that we partner up with. Because where the, the world is going is one of just consolidation and ownership for like the rest of time throughout the world. And we love the fact that we're independent. We don't have a first look deal. We don't have an overall deal and we can move fast and be smart and collaborate with people and be very innovative in how we put together our deals and, and different opportunities so that for a company like fun your die, which has been fortunate enough to produce a lot of different things, but we can have, like I said, just a little bit more ownership and not have every project we produce be work for hire. Because when things are just work for hire and you have like a, a, a company of more than two or three people, 
the margins are so low, it just, there's, there's, you have to produce so much to cover that overhead. And that's what we're endeavoring to create with Henry is this, this new type of independent studio, very focused on up and coming and diverse voices, but also relationships with some of the biggest, you know, names in, in Hollywood and have kind of like the, that whole diverse composition create um, a studio that has real value. Right. Cause you have Stephen Colbert being part of pickled, but then you have players and I don't, I don't know that I could name anyone in the cast of players. Have you seen players? I haven't. I think you'd really like <laughs> but it. But I know a lot of people like it and talk about it. It's a so. great show. So that's it's, why it's I made sure to mention show. it. Yeah, well, thank you. I appreciate that. It's a really, really good <laughs> Maybe show. Maybe because when I think of video games, I, I still think of the old school. Yeah, I feel you. I'm not, a, I'm not a gamer at all, but I think what Tony Yacinda and Dan Peralt did to be able to like create such emotional stakes out of something... I have never played or have any interest in playing. I, I, I think that's what people saw in that show is um, how effective they, they create. And especially without a cast that anyone had ever seen before. And that, if I'm correct me if I'm wrong, that the success of that came about because of the success of American Vandal. Yes. Yeah. God, I love American Vandal. Um, so yeah, the, again, relationships and, and Tony and Dan actually got their start making stuff on college humor. And then we heard their idea for American Vandal. And I think they, at the time they wanted to turn it in, try and sell it as like a go 90 show. Okay. But then we heard it and we're just like, well, nothing against go 90, but I think uh, we can reach higher <laughs> than that. And uh, to their credit, they had an amazing pitch for American Vandal. And we were able to do two seasons of that for Netflix. We touched briefly on the fact that you don't know where like someone like Eric Appel would, would upload a video for a fake trailer of, a spoof biopic of Weird Al today, but there are still venues like they're, they're independent creators on TikTok or Instagram to a lesser extent. There's creators on Twitch who are doing things. Mm-hmm. There are still places out there for for DIY comedy, but it's it's a completely different ball game now. Yeah, yeah I mean. I think there will always be some places, but there was just such a moment in time with Funnier Die and other places that it was like the new thing, right? Like comedic short films were being made before Funnier Die. I mean, South Park started as like a viral short, right? You know, it just wasn't online, and so yeah, waves in Hollywood are a real thing, man. Like, look at the podcast wave that is still happening. But like, not like it was two or three years ago, like when those valuations were insane, like digital content was a very specific wave brought in by YouTube right? and basically killed by Facebook. If you were going to really make like an A to B kind of like, this is what happened. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, there's, there's great talented people on TikTok and other places, but I don't think there's still just that ladder. There's not a clear comedy ladder you can join for comedians in their 20s like there was 15 years ago. And I do wonder what impact that will have on their voice and comedy and content. 
um, because a lot of folks, you know, like you and I, we're getting older, you know, and comedy has always been like a young man's game. Right. So it'll be interesting to see like who out of the new cast on SNL kind of really pops. But these, these things, I think also will now take longer than before because there was such like a, a wave to ride where you could kind of really get to that next level with very specific steps. And those steps are, I think, more ambiguous and just more isolated. There's less of a community around those steps, which sucks. So what, I mean, you, you made reference to it earlier. What, what does keep you coming into the office at Funny or Die <laughs> all these years later? When you probably, you're in different offices now since April, you said, and you probably look around and is there anyone in this hallway who was, <laughs> who was around then? Well, Joe Farrell, our chief creative officer I've worked with since 2010. Okay. I mean, when, when you look, when you walk down the hall, is it? I don't know any of these people. There's, people that you would have to explain. There's 23. The company you joined yeah, is actually. 23 strangers. You know, we were nice to each other in the hallway, but I don't know anyone's name. Um, but, uh, and yet they seem to get paid every two weeks. It's, uh, it works out. Um, what, what, oh man, like. A lot of things still bring me in. One, just that sense of purpose mm-hmm. to help someone get something great made. And it's really hard. And I uh, am attracted to very hard things. <laughs> do you think there's, uh, to put it in another way, do you think there's some 22, 23-year-old food expediter working at the Standard or Chateau Marmont today who's who's eagerly hobnobbing with, with the A-listers. and <laughs> Is there someone there today who might be able to do something Absolutely. similar to what you're doing? I've done nothing special. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's why I love these interns that are out here. I love, um, I meet, I, and I love what our, our former interns and what our former staff has gone on to do. So I get very excited about helping people being a very small part of helping things get made, helping them get to their, that next level. I love things that are hard. I love our new owner, Henry Munoz. This is a, 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 a great blessing to have his infusion of relationships and energy and financial resources that we haven't had before. Um, as he's a, a gay Latino man and having uh, a Latino ownership of this independent comedy studio I think is just incredible both for the world, but also for business. It just allows us to have all kinds of different conversations we weren't having before. And I care very deeply about the legacy of Funny or Die and the foundation and, and getting through all these adjustments and going to the, exploring these new chapters with I kid, I, we have a great team here. Uh, we always have like, it's crazy. Like in Hollywood, man, you really are the company you keep. And I've always, if I've done anything right, it's that I've been able to keep and be a part of great company. And that's like why after 15 years, we are still an independent company. This is bananas. This should not happen. And I'm not even (laughs) saying it to like brag. I'm just saying Mm -hmm. like, this could have gone in a different way so many different times. And so like, I, I want the resilience that so many people have shown at Funny or Die. I want to keep that going. And, um, and we do, you know, pickled players, weird. We have a bunch of other stuff we can't announce yet, or maybe by the time this comes out, we can 
that we can add to this. Like, and we're just, we just keep, um, we just keep trucking. <laughs> yeah. Like you said, it could have gone so many different ways. You're across the street from Netflix, yeah. but in a parallel universe, you could have been bought by Netflix and who knows what Netflix would have done with you. Oh, anyone who would have bought us by now, like if one year die would have been toast, you know, cause like I've been around these like types of the, the, they, you know, they call it, they like run a process. Mm-hmm. Maybe this is too wonky for your, your audience, but like when these waves are happening and companies, there are people who sit around and just try and figure out things to buy. They have to buy things in order to have a job, <laughs> right? And the people who really went out, and I say, again, I say it with love in my heart, is like the bankers, because the bankers get paid whether the deal works, whether the, the premise of the deal works or not. And even if it doesn't work, there's just still going to be more stuff that people want to buy. So, all those investments, all those acquisitions, it's so crazy how certain things make sense at just like a certain moment in time. Timing is everything. And so if we had been acquired by any sort of company, yeah, we would have totally been toast because it just becomes too hard to keep a standalone thing going. You know, it's not like they're like malicious. It's like when people, when sometimes I see in the media, like how they write about things happening, I think people use bad judgment, but Mm -hmm. no one's just like sitting around trying to like, Oh, how can we ruin this company? Like it's not personal. It's just business. So how amazing is it then that, that funny you and funny or die are still here even after Will and Adam split? Well, Will's still a part of the company. Henry, Henry bought out everyone, but Will is still an advisor. Oh, Will is still part of it. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, um, the fact, but still, and the he's, fact that, he's in the pickled uh, special with uh, Colbert, but still the fact that they split up could have had dire ramifications for you and the company. Yes, ish. But, but really we were such, we were separate companies. So, you know, as a fan and as their, you know, friends, I'm not, you know, like best buddies with them, but having worked with them for so long, you know, I was sad to see them separate because, mm-hmm. They make like the best comedy in the world together. Um, but I wasn't surprised that we were able to kind of keep it going. Cause like, we're just, um, we just always keep it going. <laughs> so, so in a sense, then not being folded into Gary Sanchez was a blessing. Was yeah. a blessing. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Again, the whole folding into Gary Sanchez only would have made sense if we were a company about that cared about like the highest valuation and like mm-hmm. getting out of it. We were never, passionate about those things. We've always been a company that just like great talent, you always want to have your cake and eat it too. Mm-hmm. So you want a good business and you want good content. And some of those things can coexist at times, but not always. And so we've always leaned in on the content front. Well, Mike, thank you so much for letting me come over to the office. My gosh, it's uh... my pleasure. I had no idea we were going to talk about all these, all these memories, but yeah, no, I, I yeah, hopefully we can come back every five years and we'll have a, a, a new tale of uh, tale of woe, but also triumph <laughs> to share. All right. See you in five years. Sounds good. <laughs> this episode of the comics comic presents last things first was post-produced by Alex Brazell at showbiz studios. The music was by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. 
If you enjoyed listening, please check out my Substack called Piffany at piffany.substack.com for transcripts, bonus commentary, and expert analysis about comedy, show business, and more. I'm your host, Sean O. McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.